Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, episode 17. It's August 28th, baby. We've got another great show for you guys this week. And dudes, last week we posted a poll about the Maui wildfires. Anthony and I were curious if you thought that the elites were behind those wildfires. And the results are in. 80% of you thought that they were behind those wildfires. Interesting. We hope you dudes will continue to interact with us as we'll have a poll on each and every one of our shows. But for our first topic this week, India to the moon. For our second topic, major corporations are reporting shrinkage as their biggest problem. Man, that ain't just a corporation problem, my dude. No, you're right. For our third topic, COVID is back from summer vacation. The boys are back in town. <laughs> Man, y'all better go stock up on y'all's TP. And stick around for the second half of our show as Cameron and I had a great conversation with the creator of the Food Network show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, David Page. But before we throw this batch in the oven, Hit him with that great intro track, my dude. Let's get it. Two, one. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics, because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field, real dudes just like you. So sit back, grab a donut and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. Dudes, for our first topic this week, hope you guys caught another historic day in the field of astronomy. We had India send their first spacecraft to the moon. They joined the ranks of the United States, China, and Russia that have all had spacecrafts make it to the moon. You guys got to catch that. Pretty cool. The name of the spacecraft is called Shenandron 3. And so I guess the third one, third time's a charm because this comes after two major failures uh, in previous attempts. Mm. You know, it's, it's the race for uh, resources, what I've been told. We got all these EVs that need lithium and cobalt to be able to power their, their batteries, man. And there's only so much of that here on Earth. It would make sense that that's, that's the next step. Yes, yeah, uh, I saw, I read somewhere it was called the Lunar Gold Rush. You know, they're in moon mining. You know, they're looking at the frozen water, moon ice, all these things that they're just interested in finding out what kind of, I guess, minerals or whatever they got, you know, that can probably help with some moon. Yeah. Well, that I think that's what was really exciting about this landing was that this is actually something that has never really been done, and that's landing something on the dark side of the moon. The theory here is that 
the the dark side of the moon never sees the side of the sun, right? Or only does it every so thousands of years. I don't know exactly what the number is, but the thought is is that if there's water there, obviously it would be frozen on that side of the moon. And so as things are slowly spinning on that side of the moon, that maybe some of these things that are frozen on that side will start thawing out and that they can start doing some research and seeing if there's any extraterrestrial life on our moon. So I thought that was pretty neat. Well, that was cool, man. Did you see the video? I mean, you said you saw the video landing from the craft, right? I did. They, it, yeah, it looks like they took a iPhone 3G up there and, and tried to sh- <laughs> shoot it with some 2008 technology. I mean, I, I would, I'm just looking at this thing posted on the New York Times.com right now on the landing. So there's actually some kind of camera on the moon and it's filming the, the craft landing. And it looks fake, bro. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you. It, 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 it's really poorly. It's it, it's a joke, man. I don't know, dude. I'm still uh, skeptical here on what they're doing, dude. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, if we're let's just think about this too. The it, Apollo 11, bro. Like the, you know, we we're in 1969. You know, it was the race to get on the moon, and then you know somehow we just miraculously do this. If you're looking at if you look at videos of that spacecraft or video you know you it looks look the at, same <laughs> bro, <laughs> here we are in, in 50 it, years later right, it's still <laughs> terrible so but uh you know there there's there's the opposite side to this too man you know where we're talking about um you know if you go back to those tapes it was determined you know from the apollo 11 tapes it was determined that since the video and data was recorded elsewhere, that they erased the original tapes and reused them, bro. What? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Why would you... There's just too much, like, fishy stuff around these stories, man. And they said, uh, you know, if you looked at some of those interviews from Buzz Aldrin, um, he said that him and Neil Armstrong didn't actually land on the moon and and it was film, you know, filmmaking reenactment, like... You need to go look up some Buzz Aldrin stuff because he's interviewed and people are asking him, what was it like landing on the moon? Or, you know, I, and he's like, you, you didn't see that. Yeah. You know, and um, I found this interesting was that uh, the boot print. So when you're looking at this moonwalk, the boot print isn't even the same boot as the NASA museum where they're like, hey, this is Neil Armstrong's actual space suit that he used in that mission well look at the boot print bro the boots they're different boots so tell me why how lazy are they they couldn't even get that right you were mentioning this before we hopped on is that you know it definitely would be a whole lot cheaper if someone were to stage a moon landing than actually going to the moon definitely and i was looking at some numbers the budget for the indian Space Research Organization, the ISRO, is only $1.5 billion a year. Now, that compares to NASA's budget of $32.4 billion a year. So, I mean, you're talking about astronomically different amounts of budgets here. And so with that type of deficit, I mean, maybe, you know, faking a moon landing, you're, as, as India, you're an emerging economy you're starting to become a big player on the world stage, right? You're now the most populated country in the world. So, I mean, maybe it could make sense to stage some of this. I don't know. Yeah. And if you're really going back, 
right after World War II, the Nazi scientists that, you know, they brought over some of these guys, but there was a Warner von Braun, you know, which is yeah. actually the father of NASA. Father of the jet engine too, right? Yes. So one thing that I was thinking about here and that I kind of did some research on was that, you know, he had some ties with Disney, Walt Disney. You know, this guy, you know, spent all his, you know, a lot of his time, you know, when he created NASA and they went to the moon and did all these things. But on his tombstone, man, when he died, it he has a, a Bible verse on there. It says Psalms 19.1. 19.1 actually is, it says, The heaven declared the glory to God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So Suspicious. Curious there. Very suspicious, you know, and if you even go a little bit further, NASA in Hebrew means to deceive. Oh, really? So, you know, some say, man, NASA means not a space agency. <laughs> I've heard that before, <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, you know, it started off, NASA really started off exploring the ocean, and whatever they found down there, they didn't want to keep going down there, so they said, let's go up. Yeah. So, hey, man, do some do some research. I'm not crazy, I promise. Yeah. Interesting stuff, man. Guys, uh, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, definitely go check out the Shenandran uh, landing you know, of the moon. Check it out for yourself. Interesting fact, Shenandran is Sanskrit for space or moon vehicle. But anyways, guys, what do you guys think about this topic? Have you kept up with it? Do you think this is real? Do you think India is staging some of this? We'd love to hear your feedback on it. We have a link in our show notes. It'll take you to our website where you can request a shout out or comment on today's show. You can also do the same thing by emailing us, info at donutswithdudes.com. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. This was the baby's room. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Dudes, for our second topic this week, we're talking about shrinkage. And no, not the shrinkage kind that happens whenever you jump into a pool and things under the swimming suit just kind of don't look normal down there. We're not talking about that kind of shrinkage. We're talking about the type of shrinkage that happens to inventory, or also known as inventory theft. It's becoming a problem in our in our country. Last year, all major companies reported over a hundred billion dollars, billion with a B, in inventory losses over the course of 2022. Now, this can be from people shoplifting to return fraud and even employee theft. So we've got a lot of issues going on right now with uh, the shrinkage problem. As of most recently, Dick Sporting Goods last week came out after their earnings call, which goes on quarterly. Their stock is down almost 25% because what they reported is that their net income for last quarter was $244 million, down from $318.5 million for the same period the year before. And the company is citing shrinkage as their main issue. That's crazy, man. If you remember, uh, there was a Walmart, man, in, in Hearn, Texas, was the first Walmart in history to go out of business 
due to theft. Wow. And dudes, just so you guys know, that Walmart is actually no more than 30 minutes away from Anthony and I. So yeah, that's that's pretty interesting, man. I gotta say, I feel like you see a lot more of these videos online. I mean, just here recently, there was a video on TikTok or surfacing social media where there was a group of looters, I mean, probably 20 people that ran into a Nordstrom's and just ravaged this place, man. I mean, they went through, I mean, they had, I mean, people were dragging out purses, plural, and all kinds of designer clothes and everything. I mean, I saw a dude dragging out a mannequin. Like, this is how, like, crazy this was, man. And and it come to find out, they stole over $300,000 worth of merchandise that day. Mm, man, that's crazy, dude. Uh, I saw on recently, well, it was, I guess a couple weeks ago now, um, but on, it was right around, I'm looking it up now, but it was uh, August 1st, dude, there was nine men that kind of ransacked a Gucci store in Beverly Hills, you know, bags, clothing items, um, the luggage stuff, you name it, bro. They just bolted out and there's actually video of it. They were taking mannequins too, man. I, I, I did not see that. But no mannequin is safe in a loop. <laughs> They're like, oh, it takes too long to get his clothes off. I'm just gonna take that's two. my size. I'm gonna take that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, twenty. The video has been viewed twenty and a half million times, dude. So it's guys are crazy. They said, what was it estimated about forty five thousand or forty nine thousand dollars worth of inventory? Yeah, this is uh, this is outrageous. And when I saw this story, you know, I just kind of thought, hey, this is obviously something that goes on from time to time, but no, this is apparently really a big deal and starting to becoming so much of an issue that the CEO of Walmart came out and said that this problem is affecting Walmart so much that it's going to definitely be hitting the consumer's prices and it is also going to be a contribution to the increased prices at, at the teller. So they also joined the ranks with Target and Home Depot that have all posted over nine-figure losses due to shrinkage in 2022. That's crazy, man. I bet they could write that off, though, right? I don't know how that works, man. I know that you can write some, like, bad debt and things like that off, but I don't know how loss of inventory works. We'll have to, I definitely do not want to be giving tax advice out, but we'll definitely have to get an accountant on here to, to interview pretty, pretty soon. Oh, man. But you know they say, dude, time is the biggest thief. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Oh, yeah. And don't rob stores, you know? <laughs> and don't steal stuff, man. Just don't do that. Just because you 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 want a Gucci handbag, you're going to make me having to buy one from my wife two times more expensive. No, I don't like that, man. Or you could just catch them in the parking lot down the road, bro, and get it half price. <laughs> right. No, don't do that. Yeah, don't do it. So, dudes, what do you guys think about this? Obviously, uh, stealing is never good. If you guys have an interesting story surrounding shrinkage right now, hit us in our show notes, or you can email us, info at donutswithdudes.com. Well, dudes, for our final topic this week, we're discussing something that I know everybody is absolutely tired of talking about, but it looks like COVID is back from summer vacation. As of last week, we saw a uptick in COVID cases rise by double digit percentage points inside of the United States of America. 
first time that this has happened in a very long time, but it's inching upwards, right? And hospitalizations are, are going are ticking upwards right now. So here we are again talking about COVID, man. And what it looks like is there's a new dominant strain or a new dominant variant, EG.5, not to be confused with EG.4 or 0.3, but this is the new one that's sweeping across, and it seems to be that all the variants that they're discovering is a descendant of the Omicron variant. You're right, man. I'm just looking at it right here, and, it, you know, it's in the news. Everybody, you know, in New York right now, hospitalizations are going up, and a Biden administration is eyeing mid-September for the new COVID-19 booster shots. You know, Big Pharma. They're licking their chops they right now. Rubbing man. their hands together, just you know, salivating at the mouth, man. So, hey, I'm not getting mine. I don't know about you. Do what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm done with the whole booster thing, man, in my life. What they're saying about this new case is that a lot of what they're seeing is that there's been a lot of reinfections in people that have been vaccinated and have been boosted too as well. Obviously, every single new variant that comes out is going to be somewhat resistant to the boosters and just like the flu, it's it's basically vaccinating you for the previous year's strain, right? So we're it's it's a lagging prophylactic for the the virus itself. But you know, the good thing is, and what we do know about virology, but as really bad variants of viruses go on, is that they typically become more and more mild as they evolve over time and they produce new variants because the goal is to survive. And if they're killing off their host and the, the virus is too deadly, it's got to adapt so the virus can survive to become less mild inside of its host, right? Yeah. So this is what we're seeing is, I mean, this is basically just a uptick in your cold going on, right? Yeah, you're right, man. And you know, like we were talking earlier, if you're sick, you know, do your thing, stay home, you know, protect yourselves, try to get better, you know, try to protect others as well. But um, I saw, well, yesterday that uh, some states are going to have some mask man mandates reemerging. Um, however, just 18 minutes ago, Governor Greg Abbott said... Uh, Up we, Texas, right. Yeah, hey, we won't have any mask mandates here in Texas. So this continues to be a dividing topic. Right. I mean, it's it's up there with the abortions and um, these other political divisive topics in, in the world. And we don't want to go there. And this is definitely not the type of show where we are trying to advocate for one side or the other. We just we like to present the facts. But, man, I am sick and tired of COVID-19. Right. School district nearly two hours southeast of San Antonio is closing its doors for a week just claiming that their COVID-19 cases uh, have jumped on its campus. So Runge ISD will be reopening Tuesday, August 29th. So I guess just, jeez, uh, man. I, I didn't realize it was getting back to those days again where we're closing schools down and, and all that. But right. I, I, I guess that happens when there's other outbreaks too as well. You know, I mean, I, I remember being in school when we were young and we had a meningitis outbreak. Uh, I think this was probably middle school for me, probably early 2000s. And we had to take like three days off of school just to make sure that, you know, it wasn't being spread and all that stuff. So, I mean, I know that that happens and that makes sense. You have a high population count to shut it down for a little bit. And 
you know, this is probably our new normal, man. Walking into a hospital without a mask on, probably not going to change for a very long time, right? Well, and you know what? Now I'm just reading a little bit closer. It says uh, the 10 cases are all within its 43 staff members, and the school district serves 208 students. So I can see that if your staff is sick and, you know, you don't want to infect the kids. I mean, I don't know how serious the cases are, but, you know, that seems, I mean, that seems pretty responsible, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you don't have anybody to teach your kids and watch them, I mean, I guess you have to shut down the school, right? right. That makes sense. Look, I, I know that the ideas that we, that we have surrounding COVID-19 can be very different amongst people. But, you know, I think that all in all, Anthony mentioned, mentioned this a while ago, take care of yourself, wash your hands. That should be something that we should all be doing no matter what, right? But it's still at the same time, you know, I don't think that we can allow ourselves to go back into the same state. And I don't think we will, but to go back into the same state of panic and mania that we were in back in 2020 and 2021, right? Yeah, no, we've, we've come a long way. And so, yeah, well, dudes, what do you guys think about this topic? Everybody's got an opinion when it comes to COVID-19. And everybody's an expert, too, as well, when it comes to it. I feel like everybody has become a, a scientist as of these, of these days. But we'd love to hear your, your side of it. You got a story surrounding it. Hit us in our show notes. You can find a link there. Or you can email us, info at donutswithdudes.com. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark, we care for people. We've got an esteemed guest with us. His name is David Page, and he is the creator of the show, that you might have seen on the Food Network, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. He's also the author of the book, Food Americana, and he's with us in the bakery today to discuss all things food. So, dudes, help me to welcome David Page to the studio with us. Well, glad to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be referred to as esteemed. I don't think I've been called that before. <laughs> well, David, I'm a huge fan of the show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Uh, obviously, like watching the show, Guy Fieri's a good entertainment piece, and I think it's a, a historical piece that a lot of people resonate with, especially if they're a foodie like me. So, Dave, would you mind just give us a little background about yourself you want to share with our audience? Sure. I, I uh, have spent most of my life in broadcasting. I uh, I started at the age of 14 working for a little radio station in Massachusetts. Um, it's always impressive when your mother has to drive you to work. Um, and then just followed broadcasting jobs around the country. Uh, ended up at NBC where they relatively quickly sent me overseas and I got to cover some of the biggest stories of the 20th century. Uh, came back to the stage, show produced at NBC and ABC, uh, and ended up in uh, the food television space. Nice. Obviously, I think a lot of our target population has probably heard of the show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. 
So I'm just curious, just as a fan, where did the impetus for the show get started? Was this just something that you were penciling in a notebook one day and then it just kind of came to fruition? How did all that get started, David? I was pitching shows to the Food Network, uh, having opened my own production company, incredibly unsuccessfully. Uh, they would take my calls and they would say, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And one day I was on the phone with a development executive in New York who I think took pity on me. And she said, do you have anything about diners? And I said, oh, absolutely. I'm developing a show called Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. And she said, you know, that sounds good. Give me a write-up for a, uh, a one-hour special under that title. Uh, I need it Monday. Well, this was Thursday evening or maybe even Friday evening. And I got off the phone. I was happy she was interested, but I had just made that up. I, I pulled the name out of midair and, you know, kind of BS'd her about what the show would contain. So now I had two or three days to uh, really figure it out and research it, which I did. Set a proposal on Monday. Uh, they picked up a special and it did surprisingly well by by their standards and that uh, eventually became a series wow very cool and here we yeah, are so uh be sure to you know fake it till you make it <laughs> i've always subscribed to that That's wisdom right never miss an opportunity yeah so uh, over the years your show has become a cultural phenomenon what do you believe are the key elements that contributed to the its enduring popularity and appeal to its viewers. Everybody loves food. Amen. Uh, the host is terrific, and TV, there's only one rule of TV. You'll be successful if you offer people someone they want to hang out with. That's why James Garner was such a big star. Tyne Daly, uh, these days Tom Selleck. Um, you have to craft a show to emphasize um, all the good parts of someone's personality, and then you have to hide all the bad parts on the cutting room floor. Uh, you got to be brutal about making sure that um, a host is carefully presented to be everybody's buddy. Um, and, you know, I don't know how they do the show today. I did the first 11 seasons, but the second element of it was going out of our way to make food attractive, um, to make it beautiful. Uh, you know, you can't smell it through the screen. Little things even like using extensive um, Foley work on the soundtrack to make sure that if you saw a spatula scrape across a grill, you heard it as well. Um, it, and something else, let me be real blunt. Uh, this show can easily be white noise. Um, you know, if you want to sit down and watch real closely, because at least in my day, we gave absolutely complete recipes. We didn't leave out a step. So if you're that kind of foodie and you really want to pick up how to make something, that's great. But you can also keep it on in the background um, and kind of look up every now and then and see a guy do something great or see some food that's wonderful. And something else, the main characters also have to be someone you want to hang out with. And the underdog story of mom and pops making it because they really care about food and pleasing people 
um, I think uh, strikes a chord with folks. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I think those are the two elements that really make that show just really a fun show to watch. Obviously, Guy Fieri is just electric. He makes things fun. He's got some wit to him, too, as well. So, I mean, that, that's a guy that you probably – I would love to just sit down and drink a couple of beers with Guy and just talk about the world. But what I really love about the show outside of Guy is that it highlights lesser-known eateries, you know, just kind of hole-in-the-wall. You guys actually came to uh, an eatery here in our local town, which is a small college town, College Station, Hullabaloo Diner. And that's mm-hmm. what I really love about it is just finding those holes in the wall that just – deliver great service great food but what a lot of people just probably wouldn't pay to give two attentions to but you know when it comes to selecting establishments what's that criteria look like to make sure that you got an interesting and a in diverse lineup again i'm talking about my day i don't know what they do today um you had to make excellent food by hand from scratch um I live in a tourist area on the Jersey Shore, and there's a famous pancake house here, which I will not name because I'm going to say something bad about it. <laughs> uh, and I thought, hey, they'd be great for this show until I looked into it and realized that they use a pancake mix, uh, unlike uh, a diet they did in St. Paul, which makes their pancake batter completely from scratch in the basement. It's It's got to be real food made by people who really give a damn. And um, it's an extensive, or was, again, in my day, it's an extensive vetting process to make it. Um, and secondly, you've got to be willing to, um, you got to be glad to have us there. Uh, TV only works when everyone's pulling in the same direction. I remember a, a relatively famous uh, biscuit place in Portland, Oregon, which was kind of full of themselves. And uh, my producer came to me and said, look, they're giving me a hard time. I want to make these dishes. And they're insisting on controlling that. So I called him up and said, hey, guys, I think we're going to have to um, say uh, goodbye, no harm, no foul. But um, you can't produce this show. We have to produce this show. If we do anything inaccurate, tell us we won't do it. But... um, I understand you're reticent to uh, to give up control, so let's just part friends. At which point, of course, their attitude changed, and we ended up doing a nice segment with them. But everything has got to be perfect. The food's got to be perfect. The people have to be perfect. The location has to be perfect. If you start going for something less, um, it's a fraud. Yeah, especially pancake mix. I'm going to have to pass on that. I can do that at home. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Although, I, there's got to be a museum for the dreaded first pancake. What's that? Say that again. I'm sorry. There's got to be a museum to the dreaded first pancake. You know, the one you first make and yes. it sucks. And, <laughs> and yeah. From there. You're exactly right. You know, I think that's one of those things that I've observed in the back of my mind but never really have like brought it to the forefront but yeah the first pancake that you make on the griddle is always terrible yeah i don't know why that's interesting (laughs) hey david i I was just let's go back to the to the hullabaloo diner um episode that you guys did in in welburn texas you know i actually live about a mile from there 
And on the weekends, Saturday and Sundays, I'm talking that place is packed. Uh, you got an hour plus wait. People are just they're they're there for the food, but they're also there because uh, of your show. I don't know if you knew that, but you know you're their claim to fame. And when people talk about Hullabaloo Diner, they always mention your show. So uh, I don't know if you knew that. Well, but- I'm I, I'm very happy by that. We actually heard from a number of restaurateurs that we saved them from bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, my, when my daughter, she's 30 now, but when she was in high school, she was a competitive equestrian, which brought us to Lexington, Kentucky a couple of times a year. And there was a barbecue joint there that we put on the show. It got embarrassing when when we would go visit them because they would just pile our table with food and refuse to let us pay for it. Um, they apparently were were just on the verge of shutting down. Now, I haven't gone back to see who survived the pandemic. I'm, I'm kind of nervous about that. But uh, yeah, we, we it turns out, and this is not the motivation for the show, but it turns out that we saved a bunch of small restaurants, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah, no, I, I think that any time that you have a mission that sets out and um, is helpful to others along the way. I think that that's that's something worth getting behind and 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 supporting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that you guys and or I say you guys, but your show that you created definitely created a halo effect around some of the restaurants that you've you've definitely um, showcased. So we tip our hat for you on that one. Thank uh, you. Yeah, but we know that you're no longer with the show. Um, but since then, you've released a book back in 2021 called uh, Food Americana. Can you tell us a little bit more about that book? Yeah, um, partially drawing on my experience with diners and partially drawing on my experience. I spent many years overseas for NBC News where I quickly learned that one of the best ways to get to know a people, a country, a culture is through their food. I found myself wondering do we have an American cuisine, per se? Mm. So I went looking for it, and I came to the conclusion that, yes, we do, that it is an amalgam of the various, not the, of various different cuisines from different countries and cultures that came to the United States and were adopted by us but not the way they were over there because of different ingredients, different tastes, uh, a variety of things. We evolved them into our version of that cuisine. You know, when people say that Chinese restaurant isn't authentic, well, sure it is. It's authentic Chinese American. It is more, uh, it's likely not what they eat in China today, but it's a very valid cuisine of its own. And we've done that with any number of cuisines. I mean, sushi is now about as American as you can get. Yeah, I, I know it. And, you know, it's uh, when you look at a lot of food, especially here in Texas, we have this this classification of Tex-Mex. And um, it's definitely not authentic Mexican food, but darn it, it hits hard and it's good stuff. Well, tex- Tex-Mex is a great cuisine. As is Calmex, as as is the Mexican cuisine of Arizona and New Mexico. These are all different, but they all evolved from the food of the Norteños, the uh, the residents of northern Mexico, 
who, after the Mexican-American War in the mid-1800s, suddenly found themselves residents of the United States because we took half of Mexico's territory. And they, A, some ingredients became unavailable to them, and B, as all cuisines do, their cuisine evolved. And um, those who became restaurateurs realized that Americans had specific tastes. And in the case of Tex-Mex, it's a huge globby plate of cheese and sour cream. What could be better? Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> no, you're right. No, I'm I'm very serious. Although Same. what's interesting of late is you're finally seeing regional Mexican cuisines other than northern Mexico starting to become popular in the United States. There's a dish, for example, called birria, which is a spicy meat stew in central Mexico, usually goat. In uh, in northern Mexico, which it's migrated to, uh, usually beef. Uh, it's phenomenal, and and it has come to the United States in a big way in the last few years. I mean, I'll, I drive uh, ninety miles to Philly from where I live to get it from a food truck there, run by um, three generations of one family in the back of the truck. It's Grandma's recipe, and it's phenomenal. Oh, I know it. Sounds good. Those are those yeah, are always good. good spots, man. Oh my goodness. What I love about food is I feel like food is your your ultimate connector. It brings people together that would have the differences, whether it be political, whether it be racial, gender, all these kinds of things. I mean, you can name anything in this world today, and there's always something that can bifurcate our population. But food brings people together and, you know, it's a cultural thing and it connects people. It brings communities. And, and so I think that's why people just, you know, we love food. So for, I, I'm, I'm wondering when it comes to an expert who's traveled the world, who's seen different cultures that has met with so many different people around food, is, is this the same across the world? Obviously it's a big deal here in America, food to us, but you know, how does food translate in other cultures? Well, it's always been a big deal around the world. Um, especially, I mean, there are many, many cultures that take their food far more seriously than we do. Um, but it's representative of, of the countries you're talking about. I mean, uh, in, in Greece, uh, the meza, the, the shared small plates is a big deal. Well, that's reflective of a society that prizes getting together and spending time with each other. In Strasbourg, in, in France, on the German border, the, the top dish there, the, 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 uh, the dish people know Strasbourg for, is chacrute, which is a very Germanic plate of sauerkraut topped with pork or sausage. And that's reflective of the fact that that's been a contested border for centuries. The, that city has gone back and forth between Germany and France. Um, in, in Tuscany, you'll often uh, enjoy a dish that involves wild boar, especially their ragu. Well, that's because Tuscany traditionally was poverty-stricken, and if you were going to eat it, you had to kill it. Um, you know, so, yeah, food is reflective of um, a tremendous amount about uh, various cultures. And, and frankly... Um, in some respects, we as a country are trying to catch up to that enjoyable reverence, I mean, to the French 
and they are not thrilled with the fact that our fast food culture has nibbled away at the edges of this. But in France, the concept of uh, dining at your desk is is abhorrent. I mean, lunch is you go take an hour and you relax and you forget about work and you enjoy a good meal. You don't eat walking down the street, um, which makes sense to me. Yeah, same here. I'm a I'm all about having something on my desk and eating on the go, and I feel like it's the only way I can squeeze something in, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, but see, and, and you, you take that into your house. Uh, there's a tremendous business right now in meal kits, which it pretty much offends me. If if you need someone to to put two tablespoons of pepper in a plastic pouch for you, and three pieces of chicken so you can make something at home. Good God, cooking at home is simple. You want to make a roast chicken? Take a chicken, put it in a pan, rub it with salt and pepper, add a little chicken stock from a box, put it in the oven at 500, and take it out in 40 minutes. That's all it takes. I, I would like to see people enjoying the actual act of cooking and eating good food once a week because it's expensive my wife and i go to our local butcher get a couple of strip steaks um more than an inch thick maybe two inches thick and and have them for dinner now i cook them well but it's 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 simple you you use a reverse sear you set the oven to 270 you put the steak in for about 20 minutes what happens because it's at such low temperature as opposed to cooking it at high heat on, um, on a pan is you don't get that big shell of well done around the outside of the meat. It's pink from side to side. Then for no more than two minutes, you throw it in the hottest pan you can get to sear the sides. And that steak, it, it, it takes nothing to make a good meal. Anything that takes more than five minutes these days, it's just too long. It's ridiculous. And I'm a proponent of it, and I, I do the exact same thing. But I know when I talk about it, it sounds ridiculous. Well, there you go. Yeah. Hey, hey, David, as as being a food expert, I kind of came up Not with an this. expert. I am a well-informed journalist. Okay. <laughs> right. More than us, that's right. for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, we, we wanted to play a game with you real quick here. With your background and everything, we, let's find out. Uh, let's play a game of this or that. Some food-related mm -hmm. questions. So here we go. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Pizza or burgers? That's the draw. I suppose in the final analysis, I hate to say this, I'd probably go burgers. Mm. Here, here. French fries yeah, or onion? That that Oops. one, it, it, that's that's uh, you know. Well, you want to kill mother or your wife? <laughs> that's definitely a hard one. It is. Um, I should have saved that for the end, but uh, anyhow, let's go to the next one. Uh, French fries or onion rings? French fries, clearly. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Steak or chicken? Steak. Yes. Sushi or tacos? Tacos. Bacon or sausage? You're talking breakfast sausage? 
Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, bacon. Hot dogs or corn dogs? Hot dogs, corn dogs are an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Uh, nachos or quesadillas? Hmm. The uh, the pretentious side of me would say quesadillas, but there's nothing better than a greasy, completely indefensible plate of nachos. Oh, yeah. Real thick chips. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's yeah. tons of crap. Yes. Loaded. Yeah. All right. Yeah, exactly. Loaded nachos. You got to have that. Uh, popcorn or potato chips? Potato chips. Muffins or croissants? No one in America makes a good croissant so muffin. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's different if you're in Paris. Very true. Uh, fried chicken or grilled chicken? Grilled. I am one of the four people on earth who's not a huge fan <laughs> of fried chicken. <laughs> All right. Uh, lastly, right here, blueberries or strawberries? Strawberries. I agree. I agree with you. All right. Well, David, man, we really appreciate you spending taking some time to come into the bakery, talk about some of your experiences with the, your show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, obviously your book, too, as well. Can you tell us where we can find your book and, and purchase it, and where can we find you on social media uh, or what you're doing these days? Where can we uh, reach out to you, David? Okay. Uh, my book, Food Americana, he said, repeating the title, Food Americana, because I sent my daughter to seven years at Columbia University to get an MFA, and I'm going to be paying that off for the rest of my life. So <laughs> buy 12 copies, buy 15. Um, it's easiest to get at Amazon. I mean, you can get it online almost anywhere. But uh, I like Amazon because they, they keep the metrics, um, and you get a good sense of how you're doing. Um, you can find me, let's see, Food Americana. Uh, has an Instagram, is it under its? No, it's under my name, I guess. I have an Instagram page. I have a Facebook page. I no longer bother with a website, but you can find me there. Um, and, uh, there I am. That's my social media presence. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you're, you type in David and then PA before you can get to the G, your name pops up and is all over the place. And, yeah, there's all there's also some noted researcher named David C. Page, who I should call one of these days. He pops up alongside me. Oh, well, uh, in my I guess organic search, you were uh, number one on the on the search, man. So I think you might have jumped. Number one on the hit parade. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You're you're number one in the algorithm, man. So you know, I'm doing one other thing, and it's not in a whole lot of markets yet, but um, I'm doing a radio show called Martini Music which is about the music of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So, hey, listeners, um, Google it. See if it's in your area. I'm, I'm, it's syndicated, and I'm very proud of it. Awesome. Where can we find that show? What, what, I, I know you said it was syndicated, but... Yeah, it... you, you got to Google and see if, uh, see if you have it in your area. We're, we're selling it one station at its time, and I don't know if we're in the college station area. All right. Well, hopefully that'll be something that, that hits our dudes' areas sooner rather than later. Obviously, we know you put out magic when it comes to, to shows. And so, David, again— well, that's quite kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> and again, dudes, if you haven't seen Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, go check it out on the Food Network. If you make it through the show without salivating or getting up to get a bag of chips, 
you don't belong on this planet because that show makes me hungry every time I see it. And David, we hope that you'll join us again back in the bakery to talk about our favorite pastime, food. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Well, dudes, that's it for our show this week. Special shout out to our expert, David Page, for stopping by in the bakery to discuss all things food and his show, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Dudes, if you haven't seen Triple D, check it out on the Food Network. And you can find David's book, Food Americana, on Amazon and any bookstore near you. As always, you can check out all of our content on our link tree, at Donuts with Dudes. This week's shout out goes out to Louise from Utah for our story recommendation that will surface on next week's show. Dudes, you can always request a shout out or comment on today's show by following the link in our show notes or emailing us info at donutswithdudes.com. Dudes, remember our mission is to make men better and smarter each week. And if you get a chance, share the show with some friends. And until next week, take care of yourself, and we'll see you in the bakery for the next batch of fresh hot topics.